What's going on, guys? Welcome to a very special episode of Renegade Jukebox on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. I technically am doing an impression. We're not doing this with webcams, but I'm doing my best Brad Delson impression because I got headphones on. Nice. And um, making his uh, Renegade Pop Culture debut, please welcome my friend, uh, Shoria, um, how do you, I, I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your last name, um, Shola? Shola, but thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, thank, thanks for joining. Um, so today marks the release of Linkin Park's Meteora 20th Anniversary Edition. Um, this, this is a pretty big deal as it's been teased for a couple months, starting with, um, the re like the release of a couple uh, previously unreleased singles. But before we get too deep into that, um, I want to hear your guys' um, fond memories of hearing songs off this record for the first time. Um, Shoria, I want to start with you first. Um, what what was your introduction to Meteora, if if not if not the band as at large? My introduction to Meet, um, actually, I do have to start with the band too because it sort of ties into it. Um, because it, I didn't get into Lincoln Park until like 2006, and the random thing was I I heard them for the first time during a guy who was doing tricks with a yo-yo, and he was he was playing in the end, and I was like, "What song is he playing? This is awesome!" And then I went on a deep dive and eventually listened to um, two songs. From Meteora. Those are my introductions to this to this record. It was Somewhere I Belong and Numb. And I remember hearing those two because then my my a cousin of mine at the time was also getting into LP. So he's like, hey, there's these couple of songs which are really, really good. You should, you know, give a look at them. And I remember hearing Somewhere I Belong and I had it on loop all the time. I thought that was a great song. It, it's first of all really catchy, it was really unique. And um one of the first songs that I eventually ended up putting on like a Walkman that I had at the time, the digital Sony Walkman. Um, and uh, then eventually I got into the entire album as a whole. I heard Faint and I heard Figure Point Oh Nine and um, uh, Nobody's Listening and Breaking the Habit, et cetera, et cetera. Then, yeah, that's, that covers that. Awesome. And Nick, what about you? Much like how I discovered many bands in my lifetime, I have much music to thank. This is the new metal era. So at this point, any new metal band was getting played on much music. Any band that was on Ozfest for whatever year was getting played on much music. So I literally knew of Linkin Park pretty much right from the beginning right when One Step Closer got released as a single back in the day. I remember seeing all of the music videos for Hybrid Theory. So going straight into Meteora in 2003, I know a lot of the narrative around new metal is that it was starting to die off by 2003. You know, considering our last jukebox episode was on Limp Bizkit's results may vary, but... One thing that I believe I would have forgotten to have brought up, this album and Evanescence's Fallen were like the two outliers 
that were like the big hits and they were new metal bands so like and plus i have a lot of memories with this album too just because of seeing all the music videos from it pretty much on release seeing them on much music all the time like i had said and just you know just seeing them all over the music news and i was like huh is this the band that i'm gonna be you know into for a long time and then then i got american idiot the next year and then I, it was all punk rock from there and then after that it was all thrash and death metal nice yeah my my introduction to well well my introduction to lincoln park started not on any rock radio station but on our our local pop station which is like um kiss fm they played in in the end kind of pretty frequently um so that was kind of my first general exposure to the band but i didn't really become a linkin park fan until until meteora and that was when i saw the music video for faint and i'm like oh okay so this is exactly the sound i was looking for at at that time um but yeah a lot of a lot of my nostalgia for this album has about as much to do with the album itself as two two things the music video like all the music videos and the live dvd live in texas which we'll get into more of that later but first i want to get to the album itself 20 20 years later how how well do you think it holds up nick i'll i'll start with you I'm gonna be that guy because mostly I'm I'm of the mindset I think this is of the two new metal Linkin Park albums I think that Meteora is better than Hybrid Theory for me I just personally like the songs more yeah it does also scream 2003 but it doesn't feel as of its it's of its time, but it doesn't feel as of its time, kind of the way hybrid theory does. Hybrid theory really is just coming off of like the tales of like Limp Biscuit and Corn and all of the bands that were just rising up from that entire Ozfest scene at that point back in the late nineties. And then, you know, th- this I'm gonna be honest is also kind of my falling off point because I was not as into the later records. To be honest, again, I got more into like Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, Testament. That became more my alley. But you know, revisiting this, it kind of felt like revisiting an old childhood friend that I hadn't seen in a while. And you know, revisiting the music videos it brought back. You know, as much as it did come out like during like a rough time in my childhood, this was one of the good things to come from it. I I didn't personally have live in Texas like Mike did, but I did jam it prior to recording this. So I do have a little bit to say about it in that sense. But no, I, I do think Meteora is a better album than Hybrid Theory, and we will be getting into why once we start talking about the actual songs. Yeah. That's how I feel about the record. For the record, I I agree with you that of of their first two records, like Me- Meteora, Me- Meteora is a is a more um, fulfilling listen from start to finish. Whereas with Hybrid Theory, I do love the album, but I will pick I will cherry pick songs more often than I will go listen to it front to back. 
Shorya, what, what about you? Um, uh, your thoughts on the record 20 years later? I would say that of the two at the time, Hybrid Theory and this one, um, yeah, I think one of them is a little more like, I understand why it's a little more iconic in, in, in a lot of ways and, and, and why it has more significance. But when I listen to Meteora, sometimes, at least this is my personal uh, opinion, I don't feel like the time has passed. So when I'm listening to, like, like I was listening to it today, and even though it's like from 2003, it doesn't, it, it feels like something that was, that still feels very recent. It feels something uh, like something that was just, um, that was just released today, which it technically was, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know, I, I don't find myself cherry picking songs as much. In fact, most of the time, whenever I'm listening to Meteora, there are points where I want to cherry pick and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll just listen to one song or two songs maybe, and that's it. But then I find myself wanting to go back to the start and be like, well, no, let's go on this journey. Let's let's go from, from forward all the way to numb. Let's do it. And then I would do that. And um, I, I don't feel like I regret that decision because it just, all of it flows really, really well together. And there's a few understated tracks that, that come up, which we'll talk more about, I'm sure. Um, but when it comes to hybrid theory, I feel like there's more of a nostalgia because, you know, you heard songs from that, you know, from uh, in, in so many different things at the time. And, and it was uh, the favorite for a while among some of my friends as well. Although over the years, there's been a lot of comments that I've heard um, that have changed that. And in fact, a lot of them now say Meteor as their favorite. So I feel like it had a very, you know, delayed fuse in that regard. But I don't know. I think um, I think it's held up the test of time for sure. One one thing I want to say before we before we dive into the track list is, um, I was watching an interview um, like the other day, and one thing that Mike Shinoda brought up the like the main difference between Hybrid Theory and Meteora from a creative perspective is like, because Hybrid Theory was their debut, obviously they had a lot of um, input from, you know, like the record label and, and executives, but for Meteora, they had a lot more creative control, which yeah. you can kind of tell that when, like when you're listening to the two back to back. Oh, no um, doubt about it. Like it, 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 again, it still does feel like it's coming out from the new metal period, but at the same time, there are at least risks being taken. It it very much is them, to some degree, copying the formula. And I'll bring it up on one or two songs here, but I mean, they're copying the formula, but it's not like it's just 100% copying it either. There are some risks enough to give it that variety so it's not just a cut and paste job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And there are points where when you're listening to Meteor, it feels like they're subverting themselves compared to hybrid theory, where it's like like a song would start off and you're like, oh, it's going to go like this because um, pushing me away started like that in hybrid theory, for instance. But then it doesn't happen like that. It, go, it has its own its own ebb and flow, its own rhythm. And I I love that about it, actually. Really, really do. All right. So let's, so let's dive in. Um, we begin with Forward, which... You know, it's a nice little 13 second um, ramp into what I consider the first, like the true beginning, uh, Don't Stay. 
Which, and, Mike, you do know the rule of every new metal album. Every new metal album must have an intro for them to walk out on stage to. You're right. It's it. It is law. Law written by Jonathan Davis and Fred Durst. Anyway, um, "Don't Stay" is an awesome opening track. Um, it it does the best job of setting the tone for for the rest of the record and really kicks things off on a high note. Yeah, the energy's there. It, it when I say the guitar work and gives it that energy. Like again, this is a new metal record almost an alt-rock record in some places, but, you know, going on about the riffs, I'm trying not to talk about it like it's a decapitated record or a machine head record, but kind of to what you said, though, Mike, it does start it off with enough energy and keeps it on enough of a high note, and it's really really Chester that's just the star of this song kind of leading into the album like somewhere i belong was the first single off of this but like chester's kind of just leading the charge on song number one yep because i mean just i can only imagine that this would have gone over super well live so i don't know why they wouldn't have opened with it more after they had finished behind touring this thing i agree um and I, I'll I I'll add a little bit more once we kind of talk about live in Texas, but yeah, um, that live recording has like pretty much solidified in my in my head that this is like this is the perfect way to open a set. Uh, Shoria, you got anything to to add? I was actually gonna see if I could compare it to the second track of Hyper Theory for a second, which was one step closer, and I was trying to think about like as a successor, uh, successor to that, if it, you know, sort of has that uh, through line. And, you know, it does sound like a progression on, in fact, it, it, it has a almost, almost similar, similar, like, lead off, but, it, um, but, but like, it definitely shows the evolution pretty instantly. And I do consider it the first actual track of the album. I mean, the forward's like 13 seconds, like, like you said. So, and I think it's a it's a great way to start it off. So in that way, if I want to look at it and say, like, you know, how it compares to something like Caper Cut, you know, we established, you know, the fact the band with that one, but then you know, every like when you look at the evolution, even in those few years, it's like there's this there's immediately this freshness to it, something that's more um that's um that that, that really adds to how much I think it's held up. Oh yeah. Um yeah even 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 within like a few a few years like you can really tell like they've come they like they've come a, a long way in just that short time so now we we go to the first uh official single somewhere i belong and judging by the music video i can only imagine this resulted in at least 50% an increase in um interest of the Gundam franchise wouldn't wouldn't you wouldn't you agree oh 100% but I mean that added to the cool factor was that they were willing to embrace stuff like anime and nerdier stuff it kind of made them seem more on the level than either most new metal or even like a lot of the post-grunge stuff that was like super jockish at that point so yeah uh, I'd have to it at least gave it a cool aesthetic to go with it and we'll 
also be discussing the music videos and rewatching the video for this took me back. Yeah. Um, Shory and I were talking on Twitter earlier and I, I said, music is pretty much the closest thing that we'll ever have to time travel. And yeah, watching, watching the video for somewhere I belong. And by the way, all of these videos have been remastered in HD so they all look amazing, but th- watching these videos is pretty much the equivalent of um, go like take, taking a, t- a time machine back to 2003. And plus, just it's an arena built song. You can't really get too mad at. <laughs> I-, I can't really get mad at a song that its intent is to be earwormy, but at the same time, it justifies the earworminess with like good lyrical content that you know isn't super whiny like yeah you could make the argument that a lot of lincoln park's lyrics are just i had a bad childhood insert reason number 15 here but at the same time just kind of knowing what we know about chester's own personal history after his passing it's it comes across as more genuine than a lot of stuff that was on the radio at that point to me at least yeah no i i agree with that I think that aspect of his personal life especially became more apparent in later albums. I thought, um, like, I I think, uh, sorry, going on a detour for a second, I think it was especially eerie because I think very soon after he had passed, I was listening to um, Leave Out All the Rest on Minutes to Midnight. And if you listen to the lyrics of Leave Out All the Rest after that, it's chilling in a way because it almost, it's like sort of, foreshadows it and it's it's crazy and then 10 years later but i think there is a feeling throughout the entirety of their works now especially with starting off even even in meteora where it's like you can you can definitely hear that speaking of gundam um yes they were in the video of uh of this one but this was all around this but reanimation dropped the same year and the cover of that was wasn't that gundam um yeah it- at, yeah. at the very least, it's a it's a Gundam inspired uh, cover, right? So yeah, that they, they that was self aware. They they knew what they were doing. <laughs> also, I'm gonna be bringing this up a lot talking about this record. Just album flow. I think this is one of the strong points of it as well because, like I was saying about "Don't Stay," that's mm-hmm. a really very much a Chester driven song. But then Mike takes over the choruses for Somewhere I Belong and then lets Chester just kind of nail home the choruses on this one. Something I really like about this um, reissue is like even more so than like um, like the disc version. I, I listened to this on Spotify and all of the transitions between songs are absolutely seamless. Mm-hmm. I thought that was one of the biggest improvements. In fact, we talked about this um, because um, one of the issues that I had with the previous issue, and then they did some remastering here and there because they wanted to single out certain tracks. The transitions were completely like gone, and they weren't really working as well. So I'm glad that they preserved that for this issue um, because most of this album is gapless, and it um, and I, I do appreciate the fact that now you can really properly you know get the entire experience with this one it makes it much more listenable i think yeah yeah i i'm the guy that doesn't have spotify and either buys the vinyl or buys the cd or 
you know, just outright downloads it. So I, I'm that guy. But to be honest, like, I'm seriously debating on getting, like, the huge vinyl box set, which is why I actually was the one that brought up the idea of doing an episode on it, because I feel like it it is kind of a big deal when you get in, like, when you actually think about it. We'll be discussing this when we get to the unreleased songs that have been released as singles, but, I mean, it is kind of a throwback in a way kind of like the situation with uh nirvana's greatest hits album that mm. came out i want to say a year before this record came out yeah I'll get into why once we talk about the unreleased tracks but to kind of get back on somewhere i belong now this there's a perfectly good reason why this song basically carried this album to the top of the charts because i mean this was lincoln park's first number one album on billboard Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's like just 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 by listening to this song like it it's just completely airtight from um from like its opening notes to uh to like the ending it's it, it it's just perfectly constructed from from start to finish anyways i say how would you guys feel about moving on to the next song which i would personally argue if you wanted to say like i'm I'm kind of teetering that line if I really want to call Linkin Park a metal band. I'm more at that point where I just flat out just call them a rock band, really. Again, especially considering that they move away from this kind of style on future records at this rate. But I mean, if you had to say one song, like one song in particular is the most metal track on the record, it's lying from you. Yeah. I, I would agree, but I think the next track um, pushes it a little bit further. But both like ha- having having both of these like back to back, that's that's a that's a strong run right there. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm just reading up on the Wikipedia page. Apparently, I had no idea that this was sampled in this. Apparently, it contains a sample of a car burning out. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> of course it does. Hey, hey, I I like cool little bits of that, so that way I can go back and just be like, oh, that's a cool sample I've never heard on this song or on this record that I've heard millions of times before. You know, I I like digging mm. for details like that. I, I honestly now now that you mention that, like it's it's hard to unhear it when like once you once you know where that sample came from. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like mentally pinpoint. I think it's just when the guitars kick in. Like I, I'm just mentally picturing it right now, so I'm not even sure if it's at the right point. But I mean, to kind of go back to our results may vary episode, Mike. I was just thinking this re-listening to this song. Musically, this song is also a really simple song kind of like how Eat You Alive was, but whereas Eat You Alive lyrical content-wise was just very scuzzy, very creepy, and it's more Fred Durst whining and complaining about Britney Spears dumping him. This, the guitar riff, yeah, it's simple, but it works for its intent and delivery, especially for a new metal riff. And plus, again, the lyrical content at least feels like it's coming from a more genuine place, I feel. And it kind of just keeps that momentum and energy going in the track list. Yeah. Um, I that that's that's all I feel from from this song. Like, just 
you know, structurally it's simple, but emotionally it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's heavy. You kind of, you, you can, you can feel exactly where Mike and Chester are are coming from. Plus I can only imagine the pit would have started as soon as the, the guitars kicked in, especially listening to the live in Texas version. I, I was just going like, okay, this would have been cool to see live. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, going back on the whole Gundam thing, they totally use Gundams as like their stage props promoting this thing. As as you should. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Everything is made cooler with giant robots. Absolutely. I think it's why I like reanimation. Like, I saw the cover and I was like, this is great. <laughs> Already a robot on the cover. I love this. <laughs> Except weird, too, that this was also released to radio, but I honest to god like did either of you guys hear this on the radio back in the day because i didn't i did but not in my hometown um there there are like other there, there are stations like um you know out of state that that played it but this isn't really counted as as one of the singles hmm. i'm trying to think i'm trying to think if i heard it on the radio if it ever played on don't remember this this song playing on the radio now. Um, okay, yeah, uh, I don't feel like the weird one in the bunch then because like mm -hmm. I, it's weird that it gets its own Wikipedia page, but it was never officially released as a single. I guess you could argue that is kind of the staying power behind this record in particular, but I, I don't really know what to say. But I I would mm -hmm. put it in my like. I'm picking favorite songs on the record already. I'm putting this up there. Mm. But I would uh, yeah. like to also I would also like to say though that at the time this this came out, I was I was in India at the time. That's uh, you know where I'm from. So um when we were we didn't have too many English channels at the time. We have more now, I think. Um so I and I think it was a little Pick and, pick and choose in terms of what played and what didn't. So that also hey, for sure. Yeah, that could also get a factor into it. I mean, you know, hey, listen, man, we had Bollywood music, tons of it. That's what played mostly. Um, but uh, I do remember, but I still remember when that one song with Chad Kroger went loud, loud with Spider Man. That played all over the place. Oh uh, yeah, that that one was another inescapable one. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The less we talk about how we could have gotten a great Stone Temple Pilots song, technically it is on topic because Chester was in Stone Temple Pilots at one point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we could have gotten a great Stone Temple Pilots song. Instead, we got stuck with a Nickelback song for our good Spider-Man movie. Right. <sighs> oh, well. <laughs> the joys of complaining about something from 20 years ago that we have no control over. But they said a hero can save us, and they're not going to stand in your way. <laughs> I'm just sorry, I'm not going to. Let's just talk about the next song, because at least, <laughs> at least jamming this record is better than hearing any second of Nickelback sludge. Um, uh, Hit, the, Hit the Floor is one of my personal favorite tracks, and it, it's, it's, just kind of, it's just kind of cool to, like, this, this, at the time, this is probably... Um, as as heavy as they would go with like a chorus um and um hear, hearing hearing it live on one of the later discs on this in this collection was also cool because they 
as far as I know, they've never had um, they never released like any live recordings of Hit the Floor before. So here, hearing the Nottingham version for the first time um, kind of solidified this as as one of my favorites. Mm, actually, oh, yeah. this is what. Oh, sorry. Please go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, I was just gonna say um, this was actually one of my personal favorites that um, I don't feel like it's talked about enough um, because I, I I really like this song. Um, I think it's uh, it's first of all it's catchy as hell. Like you can you recognize the opening notes instantly. Um, second, um, and it's one that I often like. In fact, one of the cherry picked songs that you know you talk about when it comes to this album every now and then. This was one of them that I would constantly like play every now and then just randomly. Like I'd be walking down the street and just the floor starts playing. Um, yeah, I really like this one. That's all I just want. That's all I want. It for me, it just kind of gets in and gets out in the track list. One thing I will say about this is that it does continue the interplay of Chester and Mike really well. But other than that, for me, as good as it is in the context of the record, for me, it just kind of gets in and gets out. Mm-hmm. That that and, that is a that is a fair a fair uh, criticism, and as as an extension of the whole the whole record is only is only like 36 minutes and 35 seconds like as as great as this is it it is also pretty lean in terms of um material but at least we can say that there's no fat that needed to be trimmed from it not one of the things that i will say also again just in terms of album flow is that as much as there are songs that were probably all three of us going to have like individual favorites there's not one moment that I'm just going like, eh, you could have cut this and you could have saved an extra five minutes. Like, not one minute am I sitting here going like, okay, you're just eating up time and wasting my time with this droney ballad. But instead, it's like, no, get in, get out. As riffs, has at least a good connecting chorus and bridge. I can at least get into it. Mm-hmm. For me, though, I do kind of like easier to run even though i will say like kind of like what i was saying earlier though if we are going to try to make the whole copying the formula argument if any song was the closest thing to crawling on this album i would say it's this one really this this one and not and not numb uh from a musical standpoint not from like a lyrical content standpoint there for for me a, a lot of the music is driving this kind of nostalgic feeling for me like as soon as i just kind of hear those cleanly plucked guitar notes in the intro i kind of can't help but go like this room this didn't come out during like the year early years of my childhood like pre-elementary school or anything but you know it kind of is one of those things that's like it just kind of takes you back yeah mm-hmm. like i I, I know we're we're using the word nostalgia a lot to describe, you know, going back to this album, but like sonically easier to run just kind of sounds like nostalgia, you know? Yeah, uh, that that's a fair assessment, especially just my thing with a lot of Linkin Park's longevity. A lot of it is nostalgia, I think, because personally, what are the albums that most people talk about in terms of their catalog? It's always Hybrid Theory and Meteora. You know, you you can't have your favorites amongst the later albums, and, you know, as much as uh, I'm just going to kind of be blunt with my own personal feelings, I 
a lot of the later records don't really personally connect with me if they connect with other people great all good go enjoy them i won't begrudge anybody for enjoying them but like just for my own personal perspective most of the lincoln park conversations are always hybrid theory and meteora yeah mm-hmm. that's fair um and before we started off i was gonna say my favorite one was actually living things which came out in 2012 probably but hey um, I... all cool man no 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 it's um it's one of those things where I, I love that album, but I also understand why later years for Linkin Park did not work for everybody because it's just not, it is a major departure from this stuff and um, from, the, from the hyper theory and meteor and stuff. So I, I get that. Um, but um, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to downplay the original because it's how we got there. It's how they were yeah. experimenting. And to kind of add to your point, which I think is a completely fair perspective, I can hear, I can hear a little bit of later records in some of these songs in particular, like especially during the, a lot of the pre-chorus sections, if the, during the, if I could change, I would bits, you can Mm kind of hear little bits of robot-y electronic sound effects, which kind of does hint at stuff that they would do on things like a thousand suns or living things so you know mm-hmm. i i do get it and again i get it from even just a commercial standpoint because like let's also just be honest lincoln park is a commercial band like i don't expect mm-hmm. them to sound like aborted or cannibal corpse or anything but at the same time new metal was basically on its way out i think that mm-hmm. the later records i think they just tried to do what they could to kind of transition away from that style but you know again even if it's something that i don't agree with i can at least understand it more than i did when i was a kid per se mm-hmm. that makes sense no um, one, one, one thing i want to say before we get back into into the record is um the highest compliment i can give the band in terms of how they've evolved their sound beyond these first two records is it's it's all genuine it's all in the genuine interest of you know experimentation trying something new not wanting to stay um boxed in to one particular genre Mm -hmm. so um like you two mentioned like everyone is going to have their opinions on their later catalog but at the very least they have like they do have a home base in their first two records and that's probably why that's probably why you're like you're not necessarily going to see 20th anniversary versions of everything but these two are these two are as highly regarded for a reason mhm yeah i doubt you're going to see a hunting party 20th anniversary like, as much as much as i would per- personally would love that um mm-hmm. i i i get if they decline um that decision mm-hmm. I mean, hey, let's reconvene in 11 years, you know. Also, just purely because, like, that ended up being their lowest charting album at that point. Unfortunately. Yeah, but let's just hop back into the record because we get one of the other big singles off of this album. And I have a hysterical story, so I'll let you guys kind of take over for the first little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I... There, there is not really much left for me to say about Faint that everyone else in the world hasn't already said. Um, but I, I think 
just to prove the point of how great the song is, is listen to every single version of it live. Even, even, even when it's like not even the whole band, like I can't remember what year it was, but one year on, on Warp Tour, Sum 41 did a cover while, um, while Mike Shinoda was on stage with them. And it's still, I think that it's was still... somewhere. I think that was somewhere in Europe. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that was like years after Chester had passed. Actually, yeah, so, sounds about right. Must it, it might have been like 2019 or something? But, um, but yeah, that that's that's just proof positive that this song is just an absolute banger. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, if you guys is... are cool, I've got a really hilarious story about this song go for it and yeah and for me it's not it's not even so much out of a uh it's not even me trying to make fun or like crack jokes at the song or anything because like i enjoy it whenever i hear it i'm like i'm immediately taken back to my childhood and i remember seeing the music video which i've got to say after rewatching all of these music videos this is probably my second favorite of the four if I'm being honest, mostly just because the way it just intercuts between the crowd having the band silhouetted and then the last chorus of the song, you get to see them fully lit up and the crowd then like that's cool. Yeah, but no, I have a really hilarious story about this song, actually. So have either of you two get Mike, I'm positive, knows about this store, but you guys know the chain of stores called HMV, right? Yep. Yes. Okay, but then I don't need to explain what that is. So basically, I worked for the uh, the one of the Canadian locations here in Edmonton. So what happens is my manager one day is like, I'm getting really sick of all of the pop stuff being played nonstop over and over and over again, Nick. And yet go pick me a really heavy record to play. And I'm like, at this point, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking like, man, I couldn't get away with playing like Children of Bodom or Lamb of God. But I was like, oh, what can I pick that's, you know, not going to have any swearing on it, but, you know, kind of gives the room some energy, let's say. So I was just kind of going through the metal section and I was going like, I can't really think of anything that, you know, is heavy, but is going to get people kind of more excited and a more energetic mood. Then I just looked over and I was like, huh, Meteora doesn't have any swearing on it. I'm going to go pick that. And obviously whatever was playing all of the CDs, the CD changer, it basically put everything on shuffle it didn't play it like in sequence so what happens is as soon as i put that album in the first song that comes on is faint and then everybody's like oh good pick then my manager because it's a two floor store he ends up going upstairs right Uh so then it gets to the hear me out now you're gonna listen to me like it or not part and then one of the supervisors is like what are you doing putting this on? What are you doing putting on something with screaming? This isn't work appropriate. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hey, our manager literally told me to go pick an album to, you know, kind of boost everybody's mood. He told me to do it. And then they're like, yeah, right, sure. Then I'm like, okay, call him down. And then he came down and was like, yeah, I totally gave him the okay to do this. So, needless to say, the album didn't get played the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) 
that, that that's great yeah to be honest i couldn't listen to it for the longest time because i was just kind of going oh god remember that one time that i got in crap from somebody but <laughs> from somebody on the same level as me giving me crap for what a manager told me to do <laughs> but no that it's it's just one of those funny memories associated with songs that we all tend to have so i thought it was a perfect time to bring it up yeah no i love that story for sure mine was just a friend screaming at me telling me listen to fade so there you go hey that's hey the song is literally screaming at you to listen to <laughs> it or not so hey he's just <laughs> doing what chester said to do good work uh, <laughs> yeah no i'm very uh it worked and i did listen to it so you know it, he must be very happy but i mean it's a jam of a tune it Again, I just get nothing but childhood nostalgia listening to it. Same. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything else to really add. So do you guys want to hop into the next track? Yes. This one is figure nine. And yeah, kind of like faint. It it keeps that energy going um, through through the lyrics and um, like the guitar riff. All all of it keeps keeps like the energy um that that's that's just something that I love about this record is when it when it wants to be heavy it can be, it can be heavy when it needs to slow down it slows down but this is this is a song that that is the right amount of heavy mm -hmm. it's For actually me, my favorite one sorry go oh on. really yeah but you first oh no if it's your favorite song on the record I'm letting you go off no, I'm, I was I'm actually gonna, gonna say something else no, no I'm gonna wait uh, but you go ahead. Uh, I was actually going to say, if Easier to Run is like the closest thing to uh, closest thing to crawling on this album, this for me, especially the, I don't really want to call it a breakdown section, but mostly just because I, mo I just associate breakdowns with, you know, just open chord chugs at this rate. But like, no, the breakdown section, the keep away from me bit, that, that totally is just screaming one step closer to me. So I, mm -hmm. I would say... Not in terms of like singles, it's the one step closer of the album, but like just in terms of like music and delivery, it is for me. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. And again, we we will talk about live in Texas in a bit, but for now, this is also one of the highlights from that recording. Mm -hmm. uh, should I go on? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. I was gonna wait. I was like, let that sink in. Um. Yeah, so I do agree. It is very much in line with something like One Step Closer. It sounds so close to that in a way. Um, but I guess I, it's sort of a rooting for the underdog sort of um, approach that I had to it because you have something like Faint, which is, has been described. Uh, Mike said it also. It's an absolute banger, right? Like, it's great. It's a, it's a really great song. But so what do you follow that up with? So for a while, I was I, I remember being apprehensive towards it because I thought there's no way there's no way you followed up with something that's 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 as good. Right. Or something that's as interesting. We'll see. And then I heard Figure 109 and then I don't know, I just I really, really fell in love with it instantly. It felt like this, like it felt like a proper mix of certain things. And in some ways, I found it to be somewhat of a, a tune up. Like a like an oil change from one step closer. So it just it felt like the best of that, and then it also felt the best of like the the louder LP songs that you've come to know and love at the time. 
So I don't know, just felt like a, a, a nice small blend of that. In fact, every time it comes to an end, it's like, oh, let's go back. Let's do that. That's pretty cool. Um, because it does have that same ebb and flow. It's like it starts off and then there's that one segment where it's just Chester basically screaming at you. So yeah, um, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a nice balance. Yeah, to totally build off of what you just said, again, going back to kind of my point about how Don't Stay opens the record and then going into Somewhere I Belong where, you know, finally Mike shows up. Like the interplay between Chester and Mike here is probably another one of the strongest highlights of the entire record as an experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my feeling about it. Like these two really do work so well off each other. Um, Like whether it's whether it's like their um, harmonies with just clean vocals or that that interplay it's like they 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 just have like the right the right rhythm mm-hmm. and now for something completely different unless you want any final thoughts before we move on I was gonna move on but yeah that was probably the best transition possible because next song has the best music video mm-hmm. oh un- unquestionably mm-hmm uh, so apparently for years, they did not play Breaking the Habit at all, like not even during like promotion for this album, which is shocking considering like this won like MTV awards back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. why is that? I was kind of curious, too, because I had a friend at the time um, who was um, really into uh, into Lincoln Park. And this is one of the songs that he would constantly like sing to himself like every time we knew him, uh, we, we ran into him and um and especially the chorus line on this and that's kind of surprising to me because every now and then i'd ask a fan like do you guys like this song breaking the habit they're like yeah we love it and you barely hear it I, I, it was very confusing to me yeah this is one of the few cases where it i don't want to sound like punny or like you know just <laughs> i don't know where i'm going with the sentence <laughs> i I kind of feel that this song is where it starts to deviate a little bit from the formula, if that makes any sense. Like, mm. it still sounds like Linkin Park and everything, but subtly it does kind of hint at future directions to some extent. It's the least new metal of the songs that are on the album of of all 12 of these tracks, not counting the intro track. It's the least new metal of the bunch, but at the same time, that kind of benefits from benefits the song itself. Because I mean, it's really Chester just carrying most of it with a lot of electronic work from mm-hmm. Mr. Han. Mm-hmm. I also think it's kind of hard to divorce this song from, well, the music video for sure, but also just 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 like the experience of of the album. It is. It is just kind of hard. I I can kind of understand to some extent why like this this doesn't really show up a lot um like during live during live sets until recent until like their later years. But yeah, this is it's it's a very it's a very in- interesting song. Like listening to it at the time, but since then it has it, it like it has become a lot of people's favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my case, it's a, a lot of it is my case because of the music video, which uh, 
for those who do not know, this is one of the few that is not directed by Miss. Actually, Mr. Han is involved. I take it back. I should pre-read Wikipedia before I open my mouth. Mm -hmm. But the animation was done by the same studio that did the anime segment in Kill Bill Volume 1, which it actually has a lot of the band being rotoscoped in animation, which is gives it this really killer-looking style to it, which this is like well over a year after the album has been out like just think yep. about that um so this was animated by um the japanese studio uh studio gonzo and and while uh, mr han was uh one of the directors um like the like the actual animation stuff that was done by um like you said the like that the director of that animated segment um kazuto uh nakazawa and yeah i i remember I can't remember if it was like Fuse TV or MTV Two, but they they played a uh, behind the scenes look at like the making of this video, and it was just really cool to see um, how this project came together. Yeah, and for years I thought that you know for whatever reason I actually saw the music video for this song before I ever even saw Kill Bill Volume One. And I actually remember because I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies until I was at least in my at least in my last year of middle school at that point. So I I remember just, you know, being out of bed and just hearing some noise from the TV. And then I saw this animation that reminded me quite a bit of the Breaking the Habit video. And I was like, huh, this looks really cool. But the voice sounded really familiar to me. And then it cuts to the back of the pickup truck and it's Uma Thurman. And I'm like, holy shit, I just watched part of Kill Bill Volume 1 when I wasn't supposed mm -hmm. to be. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. I think I had that similar experience with a totally different thing where it's like, oh, I was not supposed to watch R-rated movies. And then I'm like, oops. Um, but uh, yeah, it always is a music video. That's how they get you. you know? Yep. <laughs> although, uh, I I saw... uh, although to kind of, you know, bring up more movie stuff i totally did sneak terminator and like army of darkness <laughs> behind my mom's back so you know universe kind of balanced yet mm. balance was balanced yet was unbalanced let's put it that way what i sneaked um i think it was 300 that's what i sneaked and i oh, told nice. them nice i actually told them straight up in the i straight up was like I heard it was a fun movie, so I just watched it. They were like, you know that's rated R, right? I was like, I'm not going to go to war. Like, I'm not about to kill people. Like, we're fine. Um, I'm not yeah. going to school and kicking people screaming, this is Sparta. <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to. But I, I couldn't do But that's uh, neither here nor there, Mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now, th this, I would say of the... I don't know. It's kind of hard picking a best single, though, from this album. But I mean, like, this would have to be high up there between the three of us, right? It's at least it's at least number two, or like, no, I'm 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 gonna say it's number two. If we're if we're if we're ranking the music videos, it's unquestionably number one. But purely the music, yeah. It, I I was dancing at first between number two and three, but the more I think about it, it's it's got to be number two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. Yeah, it's in the top three. Okay, I'm going to ask you guys this because 
I genuinely don't remember seeing the video for from the inside until today. Like, I, this is another one that I don't know. Did it just pass me by, and I or I just genuinely don't remember seeing it. Um, the thing about the video for from the inside is I don't think this ever really charted in the U.S. At least not compared to um the uh, like the other ones. Um. And honestly, if if I did see this on on TV, it was like kind of during like during like the off like the off hours, not necessarily like any sort of prime time uh, block. Yeah, I can picture that because I mean you did have stuff like MTV Two at the time as well, and you know stuff just airing super late at night. I, I get it. Mm. Yeah, that's that's yeah usually late night MTV is when you really got to see some of the the stuff that you wanted to see, especially if it was niche, like smaller stuff, like videos. Um, that's usually when I, when I tuned in, unfortunately, too much to my, much to my parents' disappointment, but, um, because it was late at night, I was in school. Um, and, uh, I, so when they were talking about much music, I was like, yeah, but I grew up on MTV when they actually were about music. Apparently MTV was about the music at one point in time. I don't know. People don't know that anymore. Um, yeah, but nonetheless, the actual like song itself, it, it's a good connector to the last three songs on the album, but it's not mm-hmm. the one. I don't think it's necessarily one that I revisit as much as some of the others. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a I I describe it as a cruise control song um, compared compared to what came before and what um, what succeeds it. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like it would be. I don't feel critical enough to call it filler, but at the same time, yeah, I feel like calling it a cruise control song is a completely fair analysis, let's say. And mm-hmm. not and not to keep bleeding my um live in Texas thoughts, but one one thing that's kind of fun watch, watching the actual um footage on the DVD is there there's at one point I don't, I don't know if you were aware of this, but Lars Ulrich from Metallica come comes up on stage with like Hulk hands and um, like, I, I think like cat ears or something. And he's just kind of like messing around with the band. Uh, I'm reading the Wikipedia page. I do see that he did that. Mm-hmm. Should have put that on the album then somewhere. I don't know. 20th anniversary. <laughs> yeah, that, man. Uh, we'll get into it when you're talking about live in Texas, but man, that would have been a tour I would have loved to have seen back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, um, uh, let, let, yeah. last thing I'll last thing I'll say about from the inside is like more more so than the actual music video, just that that image on a, on a loop is pretty much how I what I associate with the song now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's fair. Uh, the next two songs are also arguably some of the least new metal songs on this record too. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting into Mike Shinoda's pre-Fort Minor stuff. Mm. Yeah, I do find I do find the first one of these a bit underrated. But anyway, uh, go on. Um, no, nobody, nobody's listening. Is you could argue that this is pretty much the proto, like the proto Fort Minor track. Mm-hmm. Like it still has, it still has a bit of you know the rest of the band, like. With the with the chorus, there's a little bit of crunch with uh Brad's guitar, um, but 
it's otherwise constructed more just like a you know like a standard uh hip-hop track mm-hmm. yeah it it is the most just traditionally hip-hop sounding lincoln park song without you know just going straight into stuff that stuff that would have been on something like reanimation but at the same time again it's i would feel too critical to call the last chunk of this album filler but at the same time like again cruise control does feel like a good a good way to kind of describe these next few songs but i mean at least i can say the sampling is really cool and this is also the second time that jay-z lyrics have been just outright quoted on an album aside from the eminem show mm-hmm. oh yeah um I, I i don't know how how much of collision course will end up discussing but you know it is on record that shinoda is a jay-z fan Oh uh, yeah, there. Like he border, he basically just outright quotes him, and then just cuts into the rest of the verses. But now it, it's a cool sounding rap song. But session though, one of the cool things about that track is that actually won a Grammy for like best instrumental piece, I believe. Now mm-hmm. that is awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's also this is how I got to know about it properly. In fact, it's also the opener to the soundtrack of the matrix reloaded that's right yeah because that came out the same year now yes it did Mm -hmm. and then it leads into a horrible marilyn manson song but uh the 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 opening was great it was great hearing but it's nice to know that in 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 the history books it's like lincoln park was in the matrix but that that just kind of ties into um you know their their nerd cred that Mm -hmm. that they're associated with um one of the biggest um you know action franchises at of that time yeah i mean of all time honestly i mean the the, the first matrix was considered like one of the greatest movies ever made it, it is it still has that street cred i think it's going to change that um but uh and reloaded got a lot of love especially as time went on but like it's it, it does definitely tend that whole 2003 was a really pivotal lincoln park year as we've now established so well pop culture wise um also to kind of give some of more of the music a bit of credit i i don't think we've talked about mr han as much as we probably should have throughout most of this episode because like this is kind of his cure for the itch of the album it it is and we do need to give mr han a lot more credit um Mm -hmm. because he he is he is a very pivotal member of the band especially on these two these first two records mm-hmm. yeah like pure for the itch was such a great song but um but yeah he's a. Uh, but yeah i don't think lincoln park the couple of people you absolutely need he's one of them sorry nick you were saying oh no i think we've pretty much said all we really need to just you know i think throughout most of this record he really gets to show off that's the thing that kind of makes meteora the better album for me they just kind of take what made the last album work and become a hit and just kind of build on that foundation. And, you know, I do really think that Mr. Han does add a lot of more than just, let's just have a DJ and have him do keyboards and have the song sound super poppy, but also sound aggressive at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually feels like it benefits the song rather than just, let's just have a DJ part here because we can, and it's the sound of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's there's nothing extraneous about about his like involvement. He's 
he is like baked into the DNA of the band. Absolutely. And now, shockingly, we are on the last song in the record because this thing is a pretty tight half an hour experience. So, yeah, we're officially on the last track. And also, arguably, would you guys argue that this might be their biggest song? Um, I would not argue it. I would say it. But Mike, you? Okay, yeah, cool. Because no, yeah, it, it, it this is. is the big one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, just, I think yeah. this might have actually been the first song I heard off the record. Like I, I got to the other singles um, later, but this, but this is like, I mean, this, it's kind of, it's kind of proof of how big the song was. That this is what got my attention before the earlier ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is kind of weird just knowing that Numb would go on to be the biggest song of their career at this point. But I mean, they are kind of just riding this nonstop high at this point and kind of really does feel justified. Mm-hmm. Actually feels earned. It's n- And plus, like, for as personal of lyrical content as it is, again, I've gone on about how much I don't like a lot of like the whiny, my girlfriend broke my heart, I'm sad and depressed, so I had a bad childhood kind of music that was super popular on the radio at the time, like your Three Days Grace is that kind of stuff. And this, especially knowing what we know now after Chester's passing, just his own personal life experiences, at least this genuinely... It feels like it's coming from more of a genuine place and happened to mm-hmm. become a big hit rather than just we're going to write something that feels like big budget drama, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, how exactly, sorry, how exactly do you mean, like? For me, I I always just found stuff like Three Days Grace to just be whining about nondescript problems. That's kind of always been my feeling especially about a lot of post-grunge type stuff i feel like it just got popular because of oh we can write a nondescript song about going through some personal trouble but they don't ever say specifically what it is Mm -hmm. but then you have something like numb where it's like oh chester actually went through the things he's actually talking about he's giving actual Mm -hmm. descriptions yeah my bad i lost focus Mm -hmm. sorry sorry sorry. um i lost focus for a second yeah that's uh you're absolutely right sorry go on yeah it's not just you know three days grace and it's boohoo i hate everything about you about this Mm -hmm. nondescript relationship it's like you have a song like numb where chester actually is right it seems to be about him just writing about his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the, yeah. And it's also the thing that sort of takes it away from like this aspect of where someone's like, oh, they're just another emo band. It's like, no, no, they're, they're not. It's not as, as simple as that. Like it started where you did start to see the meaning for sure, for sure. And I feel like this just became more and more apparent. I think that's why it was such a success because it felt real. It felt, um, there's a couple of songs like that actually did that. And and one of them was, uh, one of them was this, the other one was because it also came out in 2003. It was that reworked crawling, the one on reanimation. Uh, okay. uh, yeah. Um, I was reading a comment. In fact, someone actually told the story online. If I'd like to share if no one minds. Um, the, there was someone who was saying, you know, how they were going through something really, really tough at the time. And, um, you know, uh, the fact that this song was like super helpful in sort of like, you know, processing that like it was this and 
that version of crawling because those felt so so real and relatable like and it suddenly just explores so well like exactly what you know this pain in life is and i i don't know i think um i think that's why it just skyrocketed more and more it's why to this day so many people um talk about it it's not just some other song which is like you know life sucks i'm so sad <laughs> yeah no that's completely apt here and also that just kind of I really feel like it also kind of builds in the music video as well. Like mm-hmm. it, if breaking the habit, what didn't have the best video, man, it, it's a tough call because I feel like a lot of videos from the new metal period, I can't help but go like, Oh yeah, right. This one was really awesome. Oh, the crazy town video was God awful, but it was hilariously <laughs> bad at least. Um, no, with this one, it, Again, it kind of just takes the lyrical content and just builds a video around that, and it just mm-hmm. works super well. And e- mm-hmm. even even just like the you know the basic um, shots of the band playing the song, the like the emotions still um, like you still feel the emotions radiating off off the screen with you know with with Chester belt belting it out and everyone else like you know um accompanying him it's there there's there's a reason why this song exploded the way it did and it is kind of the perfect way to cap off the entire album if you think about it mm-hmm. yeah as 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 a as a closer to the record I, I i i don't really see a better um like a better choice for like for an album closer and I guess with that in mind, as much of a bummer of a song as Numb is and as nostalgic as we can get about Numb, I'm going to let Mike get super excited about this one because he's brought it up throughout the majority of the episode. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I've listened to it, but I mean, you have more experience with it, so I'm letting you have the floor. So... um in 2004, Linkin Park released a um, a CD and DVD um, package called "Live in Texas," which is a um, a video recording of two two nights, um, two shows, one in I think Austin and one in Dallas from Metallica's Summer Sanitarium tour in 2003. This I actually one. have the Wikipedia open. It's Houston and Irving, Texas. Thank you. Um, so the lineup that um, for that tour was Mudvayne, Deftones, Linkin Park, Limbiscuit, and Metallica. I would have loved to have seen that back in the day, especially to see how bad Fred Durst would have gotten booed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that would have been amusing. But um, so I first, I first like um, watched this dvd on a like on a vacation um back in like 2005 we 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 were over overseas in like i think barcelona or madrid um i i picked up this album from from like the record store watched the entire live set and this like this was around the time that like i knew you know from the bottom of my heart that lincoln park was going to be one of my favorite bands of all time because first of all the just like the production of both like the you know the concert footage and just the mixing of the audio was was just really well done but also like you you just kind of even even though you're not you're not like physically there 
you still kind of feel the energy of the performance of each of these songs. And um, Nick, I know, I know you just, you just listened to this recently. Are there, are there any, are there any like single tracks that, um, that stand out to you the most other, other than, you know, stuff that we've talked about earlier? I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch the DVD or in this case, just uh, the footage that's been posted to the band's official YouTube page. I mostly just stuck to the weird CD version that basically kind of nerfs this concert into 12 songs instead of the standard 17 on the DVD. But I will say this, at least in the Meteora box set that just came out at the time of this recording, they actually do have all 17 tracks basically on CD and on a two LP black vinyl, I believe. Standard stuff for vinyl reissues. But for me, I would say probably the way... uh, the way Mike gets the crowd amped up during Place for My Head is really cool. Um, aside from just stuff off of Meteora, yeah, I would have to listen to it some more to really give like too much of a comprehensive opinion. I do think that the band sounds great, especially like they sound on point and exactly like the original recordings. You know, that would sound really cool, but I do wish there was a little bit more of some, you know, crowd in the mix. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that might that might be like my my one um my one complaint with like uh some some of the mixing like like you do get to hear the crowd like in between in between songs which is nice um but as as far as like the live arrangements of the songs that's that for me is the highlight like out, out outside of of the Meteora stuff I like I like how they have like um kind of spiked tracks like Paper Cut and uh, a place for my head, making them a little bit more heavy than than they are in like on the record. And then just just like the energy of tracks like Figure Nine and um, like and Faint, th- those sound great live. And then um, sure, you might you might like this um, mm-hmm. the reanimation version of pushing of pushing me away is mm-hmm. another highlight. Yeah, I heard it uh, today earlier. Um, I did not know that was was that where it was first performed before the album dropped. I don't know if it's the if it's the first time they performed it, but it's it, it's starting to feel like that version is sort of replaced the like the original. Mm-hmm. Um, it was released as a, actually no, it was uh, the remix of Points of Authority that was released as a single. But I mean. <sighs> It borderline is a fan favorite, I would say, at this rate. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would have to agree. Like, controversial opinion, if I may drop one, I think it actually supersedes the original Pushing Me Away. I think it's damn good. No, I I, I very much agree with that. Like, I, mm-hmm. I still like the original Pushing Me Away, but this one just, mm-hmm. it just feels more, I, I don't know, it just it just has that ex, that extra pizzazz, you know? I'll tell you what it is. And I thought about that for a while as to why it was. And I think it's the chorus. I like the chorus of this version more than the original. There we go. That That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And also a big contributing factor why we decided to do this podcast for a reissue of an album. We kind of get to experience a little bit of a, I said this earlier, a little bit of a Nirvana greatest hits situation in mind then because we've got 
unreleased material and it doesn't feel supplemental at all no if, mm -hmm. I, if anything like um it 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 feels like a treasure trove mm -hmm. um for for those for those who are not lincoln park underground members disc four of of this six disc uh collection is uh, is all of their lpu rarities so mm -hmm. for you know for the first time you get to hear um demo demos like like a a6 the the demo for somewhere i belong which was called pretty bird and then mike shinoda and motion man have have their own little song called uh standing in the middle which i thought was pretty cool mm -hmm. but the big selling point is unreleased music with unheard vocals done by chester back in 2003 fully remixed fully remastered for 2023 yeah mm -hmm. this this is th this definitely took took the world by uh by surprise um hear hearing hearing lost for the first time i think i think they they released it in like february um yeah maybe or like late january early february it it seriously felt felt like um um like 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 take, taking a time machine back to 2003 mm -hmm. my analogy i go with is i feel like i just met a childhood friend i had not seen in years and i'm actually happy to see them for the first time in years i'm not embarrassed and i'm not dreading the experience i'm just going like man it is nice to see you again mm -hmm. It almost makes you like it. It definitely made you forget for a moment of the reality of it. It's like, oh man, because I keep saying this every single time I talk about LB these days, especially on social media. I'm like, you know, this this is how he lives on. It's like he never left. You know? Yeah. I also do feel like it is kind of the most appropriate way for the band to continue, because <sighs> I mean, uh, just to kind of be honest i don't think that the band can really continue without chester fronting them i mean i know mike is also the front man technically too but i do think that the way that he's kind of preserving chester's legacy and kind of preserving these earlier albums is the most appropriate way to do it mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. like I, I think sorry go on um i I'm, I'm trying to think in my head of like all of the worst case scenarios if if say they did continue without chester um you know who who's who's to say like um well first of all nobody nobody can replace chester bennington there is there is only one of him mm -hmm. um so probably the most obvious um worst case scenario would be you know the the new guy would forever be caught in in chester's shadow mm -hmm. but then all but then also um you know the the band the band would just like they would just have a complete like completely different dna it wouldn't like it just it just wouldn't be the same mm -hmm. so i think they made the right call with the decision that they've not even formally made but more just like they all just we all just collectively agreed we're not going to get like a new Linkin Park album anytime soon. So this is the best, this is like the next best option. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the Wakanda forever idea. It's like, you, you're not going to get another Chadwick Boseman, but we're not going to try it again. We're going to try something different. 
but uh, but like yeah uh, sorry weird analogy but um, but yeah it's uh, look I don't know maybe some way down the line it's 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 really up to them it's up to Mike Shinoda it's up to um, to to all the uh, other existing band members if they want to try something different with someone else they will if not they won't it it really is it's their call to make I think otherwise for now this call where they where they try to keep it more to the original spirit of the band and what made them so special in the first place. I think that's, I think that's a good way to stick with it for now. I was actually just going to hop in and say, I don't think the whole Wakanda forever analogy you were going for there. No, I think that's actually pretty well done. I was going to say something similar. I was actually going to use queen as an example, kind of how, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're very obviously not, going to try to replace freddie mercury at all but Mm -hmm. if you are to kind of have queen continue in any kind of capacity just doing like tribute tours with like fill-in vocalists like uh paul rogers from bad company or adam lambert even i mean i do think that that would make the most possible sense if they ever decided to go mm. that route but that that's a huge if they decide to go that route to begin with but what do you guys mm. think of the a lot of the unreleased stuff i only really have opinions on lost and fighting myself so i mean if you guys have any like particular favorites of the unreleased tracks i'd say go for it um until i listened to um the fourth and sixth discs Fighting Myself was a song that I had on repeat constantly. And then the album came out and More the Victim has uh, replaced Fighting Myself as like that being the favorite. Um, when, when, you, when you do listen to it, um, I'm very curious to know what you think. Because to me, it kind of sounds like it kind of sounds like in like, a song that would fit sort of in between Meteora and Minutes to Midnight. Like it's 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 got it's got the crunch of of Meteora and Mike Mike's uh rapping verses are you know very tight and very well uh performed, but then instrumentally it it sounds a bit closer to like some of their later material on on the heavier side, not necessarily the one more light side. Okay, I see what you're meaning. Yeah, I, actually, I think a better comparison would be, um, I don't know if you remember the track um, "Rebellion" from the Hunting Party. Love okay, that song. Vaguely. Love that song. Yeah, th- this this is kind of kind of like kind of like a precursor to that um, in the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good way. That's a good analogy, and it's a great song, by the way. Um, I actually just heard it this afternoon as well, um, first time, and uh, I w- I think I didn't look up the title. While because I was walking on the street at that point in time, so it was just playing. And while I was listening to it, I was like, "What is this song? Like, I need to look up the title." And then I, because it it, it turned out to be my favorite of the unreleased ones as well. I feel like it's um, yeah, and, and and I think Mike already said the the appropriate thing. It feels like the bridge between Meteora and Minutes to Midnight. It really does feel like the perfect marriage of those two in a way. You know, the best of those two. Okay, yeah, I, I've, again, I've only honestly really heard Lost and Fighting Myself, so mm-hmm. I really just have opinions of those two songs, and both of them pretty much are largely the same, I just go, 
Man, it it is kind of nice to hear Chester again at least one more time. Even if he's not here, I, I still can't help but go, you know, it's nice to hear him one last time and hear something new from the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, o- overall, that's that's kind of my sentiment on, you know, the pack the packaging of this material that you know as as we've kind of stressed um music music and art is how any individual kind of achieves immortality by like by leave by leaving something behind um for the whole world to enjoy Mm -hmm. and to find emotional catharsis and i mean like people still to this day for a long time to come someone's gonna find one of the songs on this is gonna say this song really helps me this song is means a lot to me and that's gonna go on for a while and i love that i love that legacy yeah i mean even if i i did mention this when we were talking about when we were talking about easier to run that you know even if i'm not a bigger fan of a lot of the later records i will say this if it if there's anything that kind of bridges somebody's gap getting into rock or even you know, going as far as discovering just flat out heavy metal as a result, jamming Lincoln Park, I say it can only be a good thing. And I'm, you know, at least happy to live in a time period where, you know, if Lincoln Park was somebody's first rock band or somebody's first exposure to metal, and then, you know, going further and further down the rabbit hole, their existence has helped more than hurt. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there, there are, a lot of, or at, at the very least, a handful of, you know, newer newer bands that came up like 10, 15, even 20 years after this record, um, who definitely sort of wear um, like their love for this, for this band on, on their sleeves. And, you know, like that's like good, good, good on them that, that this was sort of part of their, like of their upbringing mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't really know too much else to add just uh, at least it was something healthy for music at that point and kind of just had bridged that gap i guess you could say for sure um one more thing i i want to mention just just briefly um even though it wasn't it like it wasn't attached to this collection but like a small part of sort of the promotion for this album was the next the next year um lincoln park and jay-z had a uh, a pretty not- notable uh collaboration called uh collision course mm-hmm. and i'm only bringing this up because a few a few of the tracks are um are re- remixes from uh meteora and i think going back to what we said about numb like it became it became lincoln park's biggest hit not just not just the the first time but twice combined with Jay-Z's encore which it I was just gonna say it is kind of weird that this isn't part of it like part of the entire 20th anniversary box set like I get collision course came out you know 19 years ago rather than 20 but considering that it is kind of closely associated with this album to some degree kind of weird that it's omitted but at the same time i get it but i also am kind of going i don't see this getting like a huge deluxe reissue either yeah i i, I think i think like you know um le- legal legal nonsense aside i think i think the problem is like 
it's it's just too small of a release uh like to justify a you know a, a reissue of the same pomp and circumstance i i was actually going to say i was thinking about this last night i was thinking man is it possible that it might be jay-z holding things up but no now that i'm thinking about it maybe it's probably something to do with mtv because it was something that you know, MTV got involved with both Shinoda and Hove to do this project together. Yeah, and some and something I find kind of hilarious about this whole thing is um I I, I remember Shinoda saying, you know, when doing some interviews about this, is you know, even even though this was like MTV's idea, um, like A, they had they had no idea what um, you know, what these two entities were going to do with with this project but you know this this was something that shinoda was like was like already kind of an expert at um how he kind of got to start producing by taking taking like two different songs and remixing them together so this is all this is already sort of like a mini passion project but the reason why we only got this one ep as opposed to an entire series of mashups was because Linkin Park and Jay-Z did such a good job with this that nobody else could top it. Yeah, it, it is one of the few remix albums that you kind of go, a lot of this really does work super well together, especially the version of Jigawatt and Faint. Like, on my initial listen, I'm like, okay, how is this going to go? Because it sounds more like just Jigawatt again. But then you have, but then eventually it cuts into that sample and then drops right into faint pretty well and then you, you're like oh, okay i see what they're going for yeah the, the bot- any excuse uh, and, go ahead any ex- and any excuse to hear the big pimpin' beat is a good excuse yeah um uh, shoria do you have anything to add no i'm just listening to what you guys have to say a collision course was actually something that i heard a little bit later so i can't say i have a ton of nostalgia for it as much as others do um mostly because i got into jc a little bit later as well in the game um and uh but yeah it was a, it was a great compilation that's all i can actually uh uh say about it from my end um i have about as much nostalgia for this as i do with live in texas because this was another release that came with a DVD that had like the whole um, like behind behind the scenes documentary of how they put this thing together. And then mm-hmm. they had like they had the uh, the MTV um, broadcast version of the the concert at the like at the Roxy Theater. And, you know, um, pretty like the last thing I have to say um, before we kind of do our final thoughts, um, like regarding this project. There's nothing about it that was half-assed. Like, mm-hmm. like, like the record itself only took like a few days to record because it was only six tracks. But they still they still put forth like a genuine effort to make this something worth worth it for both Lincoln Park fans and Jay Z fans, and that's one of the reasons why it's so fondly remembered. Mm-hmm. So as we're as we're winding down this discussion, um, do you guys have any sort of final thoughts on this this era of Lincoln Park and just the overall legacy of Meteora? Not massively. I kind of am just 
I kind of attribute a lot of my feelings again to nostalgia and again it just brings back a lot of good memories for me just going like oh I remember seeing this and really enjoying this and to have it still hold up as well as it does a lot better than a lot of bands from that time period and a lot of acts from 2003 even you know just to have it be as good as it was back in 03 and then just having a really cool reissue to go along with it with the live in texas dvd being pressed onto vinyl even including unreleased stuff to make it a worthy and justified purchase you know and it's again it's a healthy thing for metal because it gets people talking about a rock band at least you know, rather than just having something that just sounds like an older act or having something that is a legacy act that, you know, should have, you know, retired at least 10 years ago at this rate, you kind of can't help but go that, yeah, if this is somebody's first exposure to a harder rock band, I say it's only a good thing. Yeah, no, I, I, have, I have to agree with that. Um, like, I, I know for a fact that Linkin Park was my gateway into you know the heavier side of music um chester's uh you know harsh vocals kind of got me ready for you know the new wave of american heavy metal you know from from like 2004 to 2007 then moving up to you know um bands like aborted or whitechapel or you know the the more extreme side of things but it, it it all it all kind of started with um with Lincoln Park sort of car- carving a path to get there. This would have been a perfect opportunity, Mike, for you to make the joke. You should have said it started with you one thing. <laughs> you don't know why. <laughs> I I couldn't help it after you said that. I'm not sorry. Hey, don't. Hey, it's all right. No, that's that's the game. That's the game. This game. <laughs> uh, Shoria, do you have any uh, final thoughts? I mean everything you said about legacy. Um, I think, uh, like I said, it's 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 been really cool talking to other fellow fans of Lincoln Park, and then eventually learning more about how they've come around to accepting this one as their favorite album and how it's grown on them. I feel like everything with Lincoln Park, to some degree, to some degree, there is this aspect to it where it takes some time to sort of set in, but once it does, it really has this really profound effect. This especially happened um, with A Thousand Sons. I remember at first, it, it wasn't the easiest listen, but then over the last, what, 10, 12 years, since it came out, almost 13 now, Jesus. It's it's gotten so much more, it's gotten so much more love all of a sudden. It's got, and, you know, there's there's more of a, you know, uh, uh, an appreciation for it. And I think the same thing is, is um, for Meteora. And it has had such a significant impact on, like, even in pop culture, I mean, there are so many songs from this that come up every now and then. Um, we just mentioned The Matrix, <laughs> the sessions in The Matrix. Um, and I personally still really, really love the album. I think the new reissue, which they've done right now, is especially great. And we mentioned the gapless transitions, the way they've handled that, they've improved on it. I think it makes it a much more seamless listen. And um, I'm excited for people who may have never heard of Linkin Park, which Believe it or not, there are a few people I've met who are just like, what's Linkin Park? And if that's the case, you know, I hope 
you get around to, you know, somehow listening to this, whether it be on the radio or someone else talking about it all of a sudden. And if you hopefully, hopefully that uh, they enjoy it just as much. Yeah. And any, any opportunity to get, to get new fans into, into the band. I'm like, I'm, I'm very happy that, that this could be their, their opportunity, but I mm-hmm. uh, believe that's a wrap on this episode. Um, before we get out of here, uh, Shoria, first of all, thank you for joining us. It was really cool um, having you uh, on board to talk about Lincoln Park. Um, where can we find you online? So thanks so much for having me, guys, once again. Um, if you want to find me, I am on pretty much every social media, but the two places I'm mostly prominent, one is Twitter, which is at underscore Shara Chavla. You can find me pretty easily. Um, it's just my name. Um, I'm also a film critic, and I talk about shows and some games every now and then on YouTube, which is under my name as well. Check out the channel. Lots of fun stuff happening there at the time. And uh, almost hitting 2000, so very excited about that. And um, uh, yeah, hope to go see you guys over there. All right. And Nick, where can everyone find you? Uh, mainly Super Saiyan Death Metal God on Instagram. I mostly just post whatever albums I'm listening to, movies, video games I'm going to be playing, just whatever, whatever peaks my mood at that time, especially because just today as well also is the release of the Aggression Sessions, which me and Mike are also hoping to do a jukebox episode on. It's a split EP of Thy Art is Murder, Fit for an Autopsy, and Malevolence, kind of a sequel to another EP that they did with the Acacia Strain about five, six years ago now, but... Yeah, really awesome EP. Go jam that as well. So, and go shoot my page some likes and some follows, please. All right. Mm -hmm. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at RenPopCulture. You can also find us on YouTube, on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash RenegadePopCulture. You can listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Jukebox. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.